Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Wow, in our hunger for certainty and absolutes, God's words to Job remind us of the wonder and the mystery of our faith. Mystery that can actually be healing and unifying in our times. My name is Kevin Thomas. I'm the senior pastor of Forest Lake United Methodist in Tuscaloosa. And it's my pleasure to share with you for a few minutes some of the reflections I have on this week's Bible readings. The readings for the week may raise quite a few questions. They reveal what appear to be a number of contradictions that may even challenge the way that we think about Scripture. We even find what appears to be support for some obviously unjust behavior. Let's look at a few of them. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 12, it says that whoever strikes a person mortally shall be put to death. Uh, the verse seems to offer a very clear, straightforward rule that if you kill somebody, that it will cost you your life. It seems to support what we would call capital punishment. Yet when we turn over to the reading from 2 Samuel, we discover that King David actually arranges the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. David has Uriah put to death. According to Exodus, David's life should have been taken. And yet, for reasons that are not fully explained, God spares David's life, uh, but yet offers a different punishment instead. There's a horrible punishment, uh, a punishment in the death of the child that he and Bathsheba have as a result of their adultery. But that's not the prescribed punishment. David should have paid with his life, not David's child. And then what do we do with Ezekiel 18.20 that says, The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And so in, in multiple places, it suggests that what happened with David and Bathsheba and then with David and Uriah just doesn't exactly follow the rule that we thought we understood. The Exodus passage also goes on to great lengths to limit the violence among the Hebrew people. There are all sorts of commands that limit one another from hurting each other. But yet 2 Samuel seems to celebrate violence as David goes to war. We celebrate the victory of Israel and the subjugation of another people. That just doesn't quite seem to line up to me anyway. Additionally, the Exodus passage contains instructions that conflict with our Christian sense of love and goodwill. And quite frankly, it conflicts with what we simply know to be true. The Exodus passage gives rather precise explanations and rules for slavery about how slaves should be treated and when they can be beat and on what terms they can be released. 
we would say today a, a better law for that is simply don't hold slaves. Don't enslave one another ought to be the commandment. But yet we find commands on how to treat slaves as though slavery is tacitly allowed at least. And then Exodus 21.17 commands that children who curse their parents shall be put to death. Again, we just know that that's wrong now. We know that when our children curse at us, that, that the response is not to execute them. We know in our time that slavery is a horrible sin that dehumanizes people who are created in the image of God. We know that children, rebellious though they may be, should not be punished with the severity of death. And so how do we reconcile that? What do we do with those difficult passages in the Old Testament? They are a part of our scriptures. We can't just pretend they aren't there, but what do we do with them? Uh, oh, and the Bible also makes various claims about Gentiles being unclean. And yet Job, the most righteous man on all the earth, was a Gentile. You see, whenever we look at Scripture and we want to say the Bible clearly says, we may find that the Bible is really very clear about very little. When we like to boldly proclaim, as I used to once upon a time, the Bible says it, that I believe it, that settles it. That statement is horribly oversimplified when you view the entirety of Scripture. Our search for certainty in the scriptures does not serve us well. Throughout history and in our present day, different groups have staked out certain absolute truths on which they claim the Bible is completely clear, and then they go to war with one another. We make up our minds about what we are sure scripture says, and then we are all too quick to attack any who disagree with us or see things from a different perspective. And when we do that, we damage the church. We divide the body of Christ, and it's Christ who suffers. We all but destroy our witness in the world. When the world sees our debates over what we think is certain, very frequently folks around us decide they'll have no part in it. Consider the schism of the Methodist Episcopal Church in 1844. Back then, there were two factions who were both absolutely sure they knew what the Bible taught. They based arguments on supposed biblical certainties to make completely opposite points on slavery. The Methodist Episcopal Church used the Bible to claim that slavery should be abolished, that all people should be treated as free. The Methodist Episcopal Church South used the Bible to argue that some people were to be enslaved, that some people were innately inferior. It was a horrible schism that divided our denomination, a schism from which we still haven't completely healed. Their debate created division from which we are still trying to recover. God's words to Job are a crucial reminder in the midst of our wars over assumed certainties. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? God asked. Tell me if you have understanding. I just love the way that God approaches uh, Job and all of us 
with those probing questions. When we stand so convinced that we're absolutely right, God asks us, where were you when all this came into being? How is it that you are so certain when you can't even tell what the foundations of the earth were laid upon? Scientists tell us that the observable universe is about 93 billion light years in diameter. That's billion with a B. That's 540 sextillion miles. Now, I don't know about you, but my brain can't comprehend a billion, much less a sextillion. But maybe it helps to think of it this way. Uh, 540 sextillion miles is the number 54 followed by 22 zeros. That's how many miles it is across our observable universe. And we believe that God spoke that into existence. The incredible grandeur of our universe, that 93 billion light years is really no more than a handful. That that entire expanse of our universe can sit in the palm of God's hand. So God asked Job and us, do we really think we have that God figured out? Do we really know the absolute truth when we can't even imagine where things came from or what the foundations of our universe are? Hanging behind my desk is a picture of the universe. On it is an inset picture of the earth with a line drawn into the mass of stars, along with a caption that reads, You are here. You can't even see the earth in the picture. Our massive planet is buried inside all of those stars and galaxies, so it's completely unrecognizable without the line drawing in that says, You are here. I keep it behind my desk as a constant reminder to me that I don't have God figured out. I don't know all of the absolutes. It regularly convinces me of the sin of certainty. Anytime I am sure that I'm right and the other person's wrong, I want to look at that picture and say, but do I really know the mind of God, the mind that can conceive of and create this massive universe in which we live? Ultimately, our hope is not in having the right answers. Certainty will not save us. Instead, we hope in the one born in Bethlehem. We can echo Simeon's words also from this week's reading. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You see, our hope is not in having all the right answers or even in having precisely the right belief system. Our hope is in the one born and laid in a manger in Bethlehem. Our hope is in the Christ who opens the door for all through his grace, a gift that we didn't earn, a gift we don't deserve, but is poured out freely simply because of the goodness of God. Let us pray. 
Almighty God, thank you for the scriptures and all that they teach us about your relationship with your people throughout the centuries and millennia. Lord, help us to continue to search your scriptures, to discover in it more about the relationship that you desire with us. And then, Lord, help us to live faithfully by following the true word, Jesus Christ, through whom all came into being, the one who lived and died and rose again for us, to give us that only hope on which we can depend. Lord Jesus, help us to follow you in all that we do, that we might extend your grace and your love to all people. Amen.